yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara egornamian on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler. Today we're going to talk about the right to repair and whether it is badly needed in Ireland and in Europe because recent surveys have shown that a majority of some age cohorts now no longer know how to fix a plug. Some can't even change a light bulb, let alone changing a stopcock in a bathroom or changing a tyre on a car. And part of this goes back to the issue that we're not allowed to tinker with our laptops or our phones or anything else anymore because manufacturers say that they need to have the authorised technicians to do it. We can't be trusted to get under the hood of things. Now, that's fine, except it's breeding a generation of people who can't do anything. Colin Baker, you're the CEO of uh, Back From the Future and you're also tech presenter on Ireland AM. Thanks very much for joining the Thank podcast. Thank you, Adrian. Can uh, you today. change a tire? I mean, I know you have people to do that, but <laughs> is it something that you, you're comfortable with? I can change a tire. Do you know what I see with changing tires? I see people who uh, have flats at the side of the road and they're desperately trying to YouTube yes. how to change In the a rain. tire. And I had a conversation with somebody last week about this and I said, you know, don't you think it's a shame that a lot of people can't change a tire or fix a stopcock or 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 even change a plug and then, no it's okay i just use youtube it's interesting that it's part of the school syllabus mm. in the states is that right you I get your that. license or at least you get your uh, driver's ed mm. at 16 in the states and that's standard and mandatory on on school syllabus so it's interesting that over there they've seen the value and importance of that. And it is, it's absolutely vital that you know to do that because for all the modern technology and all the YouTube videos that you're going to get ads on standing there at the side of the road, anyone yeah. who's tried to do that will tell you, yeah, I think I wish I'd done this before or I spent, you know, 20 minutes with my dad going through it. Yeah. And I mean, it would just, it seems to me we're of a generation of piece of people who are useless, who can't do anything at home, who need Interestingly, to Interestingly, if you look around the country though, mm. that's very Dublin centric. It's very urban centric. If you go down to Roscommon or Leitrim, your average 16 year old will be able to build a wall. Mm. I've found that uh, very much as I travel around the country. 
people who maybe grew up in farming mm. or in rural areas where they didn't have as ready access to uh, you know uh, people to do repairs, mm. or maybe they didn't have the money yeah. to go and pay people Resilience. to do relatively straightforward jobs for them. So, and it it also comes when you look at countries maybe that aren't quite as affluent. Mm. People by necessity have to do these things for themselves. I, it always struck me with the Russians when the mm. Russians were something went wrong on a expensive piece of machinery, the Russians would try and get under the hood and fix it because the Amer- well, whereas the Americans, a lot of the Americans that I know, they just try and ring a repair guy. Yeah. yeah that's that's yeah. the default. Affluence tends to negate the need to do these practical, physical things. Mm. Um, and, and we see that as Ireland becomes, well, yeah. supposedly the richest well, country look, in the world. Let, let's talk about it because there is a right to repair law which currently is going through the European legislation process. And this could be uh, a very bright light in what we're talking mm. about. Um, it essentially will uh, it will allow a few things. It will allow um, consumers to uh, have access to parts and it will also allow small uh, resellers and shops to have more rights to actually fix things like iPhones, mm. right? Well, look, as you said, at its very core, the right to repair is a movement and an initiative. It actually comes out of the States and that was largely mm. industry and, and, and kind of tech expert-led, influencer-led. Um, over in Europe, uh, as of March, as part of the Green Deal, very imaginatively called, um, they are imposing um, not just guidelines, but l- rules and regulations. And we've seen this in the USB-C movement in the new iPhone. Um, and I'm sure you've also been aware of the fact that by 2027, we are to see replaceable batteries in devices mm. as well. But we so used to have replaceable, replaceable batteries in Yeah, we're going to go phones. full circle back to it. Because when you think about, obviously, from the, the producer's end, it can be difficult to, to build that waterproof sandwich style design um, of an iPhone or a, of, a, of a tablet and retain the ability to unclip and slide out a, a, a battery. But... The, I mean, Colin, I, I get all that. And there hmm. is logic because when you talk to companies like Apple, let, let's talk about Apple for a second. Yeah. Apple has kind of led the, uh, the industry on this. I remember when you could open up the back of a MacBook and put in your own RAM hmm. if you wanted to increase the or RAM. Or you replace your drive for a bigger drive or have a look because something's not working or yeah. replace a cable because your screen's not now, working. Now, what happened then was Apple started using the John Deere philosophy of... No, no, no. We can't let people uh, fix their own products mm. because they're not trained. They're not trained technicians. They won't be able to do it. They might screw up uh, the machine. And they, it got to the point where if you tried to tinker with uh, one of your devices, your Apple devices, it could invalidate the warranty. Mm. Now, what was going on in parallel with this is that Apple actually built up a very successful and profitable commercial business mm. in spare parts and with an authorized reseller network that it controlled with mm with parts and processes at a certain price. Yeah, but that was reactive to some degree. Apple, their their main impetus for that was to have people replace goods more readily and more regularly and with higher frequency. Mm. That's what it came down to. Their response in terms of the, actually the American, the US-based right to repair movement was largely responsible for pushing Apple 
to develop networks of approved installers and technicians and a supply chain to back. Are you up. guys an approved? We're in the process of going through that. Now, so, our so problem, that's an interesting that's an, position that's a different to be. Podcast, possibly. No, but that's an interesting position to be in because if mm. you sort of have a half a foot, you're say aspiring, let's say, authorized resellers. Well, shall, shall we say actually reluctant? I would say because I tell you what. And this goes back to the right to repair. The core of the right to repair is that if you buy something, it is yours. If you want to buy a tablet and use it as a tennis racket, that is your entitlement. If you want to pull it apart and discover how it works, it's entirely your responsibility and up to you. Now, on the other side of the argument, is it acceptable for maybe John Deere to say, well, we've got to restrict access to these uh, to, to this very, very potentially dangerous equipment, tractors rolling down the road. Tesla, for example, they're very restrictive. Yes, they have open designs, but they're very restrictive about who gets to pull, about, pull a, uh, apart their cars because that's driving down the road at potentially 200 kilometers an hour. So you're dealing with potential weaponry in a sense. So you can understand both sides of it. But in Apple's case, and for us, um, the argument that you run the risk of killing yourself or harming yourself by opening your MacBook or your iPhone is pretty uh, feeble, mm. really. Um, and and the, I suppose, from Apple's point of view, what they intend doing and are doing is that they're entitled, if they give us permission to render repairs. And it's, by the way, it's not to iPads, it's specifically to iPhones and Mm. screens and batteries. That's it. If there's liquid damage, you can't do anything about it. There are so many restrictions on the way we are to commit to those repairs that, and and they can police that, by the way, not just while you are uh, an approved repair uh, agency, but even beyond for up to five years afterwards, they reserve the right to enter your premises and watch and look at and inspect everything you do. Sorry, sorry. Oh, premises being a, a shop. Your premises, yes. Mm. Uh, so your business, which I'm not, look, I'm not um, uh, necessarily conspiracy therapist, <laughs> theorist, but I do feel that there's a certain degree of privacy from companies like Apple and freedom, and again, as part of the right to repair movement, it is your entitlement as not a repair agent, maybe you're kind of tech savvy and you're interested, maybe you're an electronic hobbyist and you just want to take apart your iPhone yourself, buy a part online and replace it. And you should be entitled to do that in as much as some factory out there is entitled to go, you know what, there's a popularity to iPhone batteries. I'm going to make a version of an mm. iPhone battery. Now, you also swing back. Just to, to, to caveat that, there is a certain amount of regulation that, of course, is important. Like if you look at the um, Made for Apple, the MFA arrangement of cables. So if you have an iPhone and you, you are Apple and you make iPhones and there are an abundance of cheap, badly made cables out there or battery devices or chargers and they're badly made, they run a, a significant risk of damaging the equipment. So, but it, now I'm going to play slight devil's advocate here. Yeah. Isn't that the responsibility of federal regulators, Europe, the US, other territories, UK, wherever? In other words, if there is a cheap, yeah. yes, if there yeah. is a cheap cable, yeah. that is a risk that could yeah. cause a fire. That is yeah. a civic regulatory issue. Totally. Is it really up to Apple to develop its own standard to say that you can or cannot use a cable? And by the way, the cable we're saying you can't use costs, you know, a third of what we charge for our cable. Completely. And, and that's a very valid point. Apple's argument, which is also valid, is that those uh, regulations aren't working. 
And despite all the regulations of CE approval, anybody can stick. And we've seen it over and over. If you take a random selection of electronic goods, particularly on the cheaper end of the market, you'll find 20 to 30% of those CE stamps mm. and, and, and placards on the equipment is fake. Really? Yes. So, and of course, it's very easy to do. Yeah. And, and you've got a small brand that's unknown. I assume you're unknown. talking about, oh yeah, unknown Oh no, brands. I'm talking not branded stuff. Yeah. I'm talking unknown stuff that comes in online. You don't have a recognized brand and you've got a supposed mm. CE label on it. It's unlikely that you're going to do, do the due diligence necessary now, I, to I think we should that. probably, I am guesstimating here mm. that that unknown brand with the fake CE stamp on it probably cost... 30% of what the branded thing costs. There, yes. there is a caveat yeah, emptor yeah, thing. Of course. And I do think because the there's consumers, a shorter supply chain and but also, tighter margins. Also, and, consumers aren't idiots. I mean, I've seen fake iPhones sold in China. Well, for be careful when you say consumers euro. aren't. Look, we're all, we all have degrees of idiocy. Yeah. And, you know, we do need an amount of regulation to, to, to do our due diligence for us. Yeah. I have seen, and the amount of people who ask me, why did this one euro cable fail? I don't understand. Or Do they I really got ask my you iPhone. That? Oh, we, every day I will get asked the question. I bought, I, I broke my iPhone screen, my, say, my iPhone mm. 11, and I got it done in a street yep. for 90 euro. And the original screen price is 280. Mm. And that, but why did it fail? I don't understand why it failed. And I get that question almost <laughs> on the accusing day. Accusing you. What's that? Are they accusing you as being no, part no, no, of the industry? No, 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 no. This is from this is the, where they'd get it done unofficially. Yeah. We actually use official parts, whether or not we need to, yeah. because we 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 believe in a meritocracy. If a part is worthy, yeah. whether it's not real or real, it's all about the quality. And of by the way, I think part, we should. Part. We've been bashing Apple a little bit here. I think it's fair to point out that with the iPhone 15 oh, uh, uh, models that they have reduced the price substantially of the replacement yep. panels, yep. I th- certainly on the back and maybe on the front as well, because it used to cost 600 and something euro, and now it's like under 200. The materials and technology they use are second to none. The original parts are second to none. There is no counterfeit version that's cheaper. And by the way, I mean, you just look at You're the You're doing a good an job on your authorized reseller picture, by the way, if anyone from Apple is listening. No, but it's half and half, really. I look, I don't, adore Apple for no reason. The quality, I look at these things as a technician very much in a binary form, in a kind of a cold logical form. Their materials, their design, their equipment, nobody can build it as cheap. And we've seen that. There is no Mm. such thing as a counterfeit iPhone. Why is there not? Because nobody can build an iPhone for less than Apple do at a a, comparable or reduced price at scale. So nobody can do it. So the, there is absolute value there. You are paying, when you pay for, I, I got a 14 Pro, one terabyte version. It's nearly two grand. It's an awful lot of money for a phone, but it's worth every penny because nobody else out there can replicate it. Now, look, I know that there are Android using listeners right now who are tearing their hair out and, and saying, please, somebody make a counterpoint. I will just say on their behalf, The margin that Apple makes on an iPhone 14 Pro with one terabyte of data is quite significant. It's probably at least 30%. So 
they probably could afford to make it cheaper if mm. they were willing to take a 10 to 15% rate. Mm. That is the business model. They sell a lot of phones and the market regards it as a fair bargain. So to yeah. your point. Yeah. Um, There's more competition yeah. in the Android market. And I'm not, I'm not in any way diminishing or denigrating Android. Sure. There's just not as much consistency. And you tend to find, because of the alarming power of Apple, they're able to create materials that don't exist otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Let's just talk for a second about this right to repair law in the uh, European Union, it, from what I gather, um, it's going to affect not just things that we're talking about, phones and laptops, but it's going to affect things like washing machines and vacuum cleaners as well, as well as requiring companies uh, to fix them, things themselves at low or no cost. It also says that independent repairers, refurbishers and end users should get access to all the spare parts and information tools at a reasonable cost. Now, th- 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 through the lifespan of the product, I think that's going to make a big difference. This is all about conscientious, sustainable consumption. Mm. And we have been lulled into fairly dire scenarios here in believing that we need to replace our expensive equipment um, every second minute. Mm. Um, phones every year or every two years. Do you know Washing what? machines, devices, clothing. Um, Sometimes we, I feel we're part of that problem. I no, mean, but we I, are. And I'm talking about myself here. Mm. So I'm a tech journalist. Mm. I probably review more phones and gadgets than anyone else in the country, I would say, professionally. Well, you're not mugging grannies. You know, no. th- this, is, th- this is just, you know, th- there's nothing inherently wrong with replacing your phone and treating yourself and having something that's productive. And but effective. I do sometimes wonder, am I inadvertently a useful idiot for the, for the tech industry? Am, am I um, contributing to the hype cycle? Well, if I'll I, share I, your blame on that one to some <laughs> extent, but it, that's why we talk about it being conscientious, mm. is informing the consumer and enabling the consumer to make educated decisions on what they're buying how they're consuming it and what their options are when it's at the end of the life or when they're replacing it or when they have a problem with it. Mm. I'll give you a very simple personal example. I made a decision a few years ago just to buy charity shop clothes because I figured it's circular. People have used it. It doesn't fit them. Whatever goes back to the charity shop. I buy it there. It's inexpensive. It's been There's washed. Some nice charity shop. And there is. Now it takes a bit more time. Especially in the area that you hang around on the south side. Yes, yes. It's very yeah. hipster, just mm. like me and you, Adrian. Mm. But, uh, I, and I find it's inexpensive. It, it, you know, I can get a range and money goes to a worthy charity as well. So it's kind of a nice circular conscientious effect to buying clothes. But we have been lulled into thinking, ah, poor Colin, what's going on with him? Well, business mustn't be great if he's buying clothes in charity. And if you look in the charity shops, it's, it's, I hate to say it, but from what I can see, it's all people who are buying there, not for conscientious reasons, but because they can't afford to buy anywhere else. So it's not a fashionable thing to do. And fashion and trend dictates a lot of our consumer behavior. And that is lulled uh, by obviously, you know, mm. clever marketeers. So maybe we do share a little bit of blame there, but we're also looking to, you know, the, the right to repair movement is about enabling the consumer to think, okay, and what, what am I buying for starters? So for example, we've talked before about factory refurbished equipment mm-hmm. in IT, and we've moved a number of schools, colleges, and small businesses over to that. They've, just like the clothing scenario, 
They've saved enormous amounts of money, like 60, 70, 80% in some cases. They've saved enormous amounts of carbon, both in terms of manufacturing new equipment and assuaging the, the, the waste of disposing of, of used equipment. Um, and in a lot of cases, if the supply chain and the refurbishment process is done correctly, which it's gotten really good in the past few years, the reliability is actually higher than a lot of new purchasing because the testing is so much more significant than on a lot of new equipment. Mm. Do you think the big manufacturers can find any way to try and frustrate the spirit of this process? Well, you know what? The most powerful tool they have is the, is the design. Okay, So what we're seeing now, and back to our point, not, again, not to bash Mac, Tesla do it, and lots of uh, electronic brands do it. Um, more and more of the parts and modules of these devices are integrated. You mentioned about opening the back of a Mac and replacing your RAM or your drive. They're all on one single micro-thin board now. So you can't readily go in and replace the RAM. You can't replace the drive. Believe it or not, on some of the new Macs, if you spill coffee on the keyboard, you would think, well, three keys aren't working. We've had this. Three keys aren't working. Obviously, it's not covered under any kind of warranty. And insurance, well, that's another conversation. And people say, well, there's only three keys. The rest of the machine's working fine. There's only three keys not working. You might as well throw it out. For the price of replacing the entire top section of the machine plus the board, it's just not worth it. Mm. So they're designing equipment. When you say the price of replacing it, yeah. what is that price? What, what, what's the, well, if you that say, price for example, from? on one of the... From the is that from Apple charging? Apple, for, Apple charging now, see, so much. This is much what for I'm talking part. about. Okay, so but is, also for the fact that it's three keys. If if you give me a, a, an, a Lenovo ThinkPad, I can buy a replacement keyboard for that, even one of the new ones for ninety or hundred quid, and unscrew the back, take it off. It's pretty user, well, not quite user doable, but it's a straightforward job, and it. You don't have to charge an arm and a leg to replace the keyboard. It's more modular. They're distinct parts. And that is the right way to build. And the reason for integrating, well, obviously, there's maybe a a saving in terms of production. But what they're really trying to do, and we've seen this across the board, is restrict access and restrict the ability of either a random repair shop down the road or your tech-clever uncle or you on YouTube to render repairs yourself. So that's their most powerful tool. That's a very interesting uh, observation, Colin. And there we're going to leave it for today. Uh, Colin Baker, uh, the Gadget Guy, uh, CEO of Back uh, from the Future and Tech Presenter on Ireland AM. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Thanks also to JJ Clark, who produced today, and to John Smith, who was on video and audio. My name is Adrian Weckler. You've been listening to or watching The Big Tech Show, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erechor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. We in Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.